funding for Still Newtown is made possible in part by a grant from Connecticut Humanities. This episode deals with the events of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting on December 14, 2012. It recounts the experiences of students and a parent who chose to share their stories of that day, and it involves discussion of gun violence. Those who could be affected by this, or don't wish to hear it, may wish to skip to the next episode. Ten years ago, 20 children and six educators died at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. The world turned its attention to Newtown, and then the world moved on, and most people didn't even know the 10-year mark was approaching until another elementary school shooting happened in Uvalde, Texas. Ten years later, Newtown is still here. Its residents still go to work under its iconic flagpole. Children who were in the school that day are old enough to be in high school or college. Some families who lost loved ones found new purpose in trying to prevent more shootings or just to make the world a better place. And the issues that caused the shooting are still here too, as we're reminded in the news far too often. So here at WSHU Public Radio, we felt the most appropriate name for this podcast should be Still Newtown. I'm Davis Donovan. On the morning of December 14, 2012, the Newtown School District went on lockdown as word spread that something had happened at one of its schools. So I wasn't wearing my glasses. I was doing my morning work. And then all of a sudden, um, we had heard kind of just like this muffled noises on uh, the loudspeaker. Maggie Labanca was in third grade at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And we kind of all looked up and were confused, and then it happened again. Then it started to get louder, and people started yelling, and we were confused. And then I don't want to say that we heard gunshots because I didn't know what a gunshot was. I know a lot of people say they heard gunshots. I probably did because it was on the loudspeaker. Camille Paradis was also in third grade at Sandy Hook, but she doesn't remember hearing it. I blocked it out, um, which my therapist agrees is probably best for me. Maggie remembers her teacher turned off the lights and shepherded the kids into a sort of reading nook area. I was told to hold hands with the people on the carpet in this reading nook, and we were just sitting there, and I was shaking. And I can't tell you how long I was sitting and shaking there for, but we were all scared. And we all sat on the floor there, and then there were a couple of people hiding under desks and under stuff. That's when Maggie realized she left her glasses on her desk. I have terrible eyesight, um, but I used to get made fun of for wearing my glasses. So I wasn't wearing my glasses, I was just kind of blurry, and some kids were crying. I didn't know why they were crying, I was just shaking because it was loud. So then we were brought into the room next to us, um, and we kind of walked through. We got to see under the windows and there were police cars there. Um, And then we were rushed out of the school. Groups of students ran past a photographer for the Newtown Bee newspaper, Shannon Hicks. She was one of the first reporters on the scene. She snapped a photo of a group of students leaving with their hands on each other's shoulders. This picture, I'm looking at it right now. This is the picture of a female state trooper at the head of a line of children. And I've always wondered, there's a little girl in the middle of this, and she just looks horrified. And I've always wondered how she's doing. Um, The rest of the children are, of course, hands on the shoulders of the person in front of them. Yeah, this was in the upper parking lot. 
Maggie LaBanca and her classmates left through the back exit. I didn't have my hands on the shoulders. I was running and I was holding this woman's arm and I couldn't see. So she was just sprinting and I was holding on. And it was really loud. And the, the sirens were going off and we were taken to the fire station. And there was this woman holding the door open and we were asking her what was going on. And she told us that everyone thought it was a bear. So that started to calm everyone down more. Shannon Hicks, the photographer, heard a similar story from a boy she recognized as the son of a firefighter. And he said something along the lines of, um, there's an animal in the building. And I went along with that. It was not my place. It was not the time. Uh, As things were starting to click together in my head, I was not going to be the one to say anything different. And I said, yes, it's a bad animal. And the kids were starting to walk toward the firehouse at that time. So I walked with him for a little while. And um, I just said, you're going to be safe, though. You're going to be safe. You're going to go back to the firehouse. And um, we'll find out what's going on later. But then as we got in there, there were certain people that were shaking more than others. And I was guessing those were the people that understood. Phones started to ring across Newtown. Parents jumped in their cars and rushed toward the firehouse. And it was a typical Friday morning. It was chores and making beds and putting dishes away and, you know, balancing the phone in the crook of my neck so I could get three things done at one time. And the phone call came in and said, we need to go to the school. Um, Something's happened. And in that moment, my gut just was, it clenched. Jenny Hubbard showed up at the firehouse looking for her two children, her son, Freddie, and her six-year-old daughter, Catherine. And so they were all just sort of these clusters of kids around their teachers. And I saw Freddie's teacher, and then I saw Freddie. Um, and he said to me, with panic in his eyes, because he had, what I then found out, lived through, heard everything that was happening, um, he said to me, I can't find Catherine. Catherine Violet Hubbard was one of 20 children who died that day. In the midst of that morning, um, it was it was Freddie and I, and I can still feel the weight of his head on my arm. And yet I know that in that moment, even though all hell had broken loose, God was there and he was he was holding holding me up by me holding up a little boy. That morning, Jenny Hubbard began a journey that would lead her toward a deeper understanding of her faith in God and a new calling in life. Jenny Hubbard's story will be told in a later episode of Still Newtown. Third graders Maggie LaBanca and Camille Paradis are college freshmen now. They found their calling, too, as anti-gun violence activists, trying to prevent more days like December 14th, 2012, from happening again. On the next Still Newtown, how young survivors are doing that, and how they navigate a world that suddenly changed on them. For 10 years, our community has been stricken with grief, torn down, and devastated by our losses. It hasn't gotten better. It hasn't gotten easier. But as a way to deal with my trauma, I've decided to fight for change. Still Newtown is sound designed by John Pino. Our fact checkers are Janet Curtis, Margaret Osborne, Melanie Formosa, and Mallory Lawrence. Our editor is Cindy Carpian. 
Our assistant producer is Sabrina Garone. Our interns are Paul Keegan, Megan Briggs, Isabella Giardina, and Hilary Jean-Bart. The executive editors are Terry Sheridan and J.D. Allen. Tom Kuzer is WSHU's director of programming. Our general manager is Rima Dial. And our media partner on Still Newtown is the Newtown Bee. I'm Davis Donovan.